Good morning. We're delighted to see all of you here this morning in spite of the uh, challenging weather. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of attitude. I like to say there are no bugs. So, and it makes spring so much better. And as Jim Wick just mentioned, that uh, we're fortunate that the uh, men's prayer breakfast didn't have this as their annual wear your shorts to church in the wintertime today because it would have been very cold. Uh, just a quick note, a couple of notes. Um, Ron Pollock is the uh, Stephen minister this morning. And for announcements, the RAIN program starts next Sunday, and there are still some vacancies for overnight to help with that and also uh, in the evening. So check with Barb. She's out in the uh, fellowship hall after church. Um, also a reminder that there are pew pads uh, for all of us to fill out because sometimes there will be a visitor to the church and wonders who they're sitting next to rather than asking the name. It'll be in the pew pad when it goes by, so use that. Um, and if you are visiting, if you have any special questions, requests, also put that in the pew pad. Thank you. Bruce? The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. Gather to me, my faithful ones. 
who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let us worship God. Please join me in prayer. We raise our voices, we look on high, our thoughts are sent above to God who rules heaven and earth. But we forget that sometimes you speak through the humblest, the least of these in our midst, and that out of the mouth of babes comes wisdom. Today as we gather in your name, we pray for your word to be spoken directly in our hearts and for the discernment to recognize your good news, not only in those who speak, who pray, who lead, who sing, and who play, but in everyone who shares this time worship with us today. These things we pray, trusting in your mercy and forgiveness, confident in our hope, happy in our faith. Amen. We know that we're imperfect people, And so we use this corporate prayer to express our sin together to God. Why are we perishing, veiling our minds against the glory of the Lord, 
when we might choose you and choose life? Why do we seek to stop time, creating monuments to what is past, instead of walking down from your holy hill to share in the cross, the grave, and the glory of the resurrection? God of light and life, we confess to have acted ourselves, mistaking the work of your kingdom with our own intentions that tear us apart, confusing our children and appalling non-believers. Henceforth, we will no longer proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Let your light shine out of the darkness. Rescue us, redeem us, save us. Amen. It is good for us to be here, for we know we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all are in need of God's forgiveness. We are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In this time of worship, we receive by faith this assurance of God's pardon. I think Carrie has impeccable planning. She elected to be on vacation with the family this week. That's why she's not here. They've headed south, but not terribly far, down at least as far as Maryland and West Virginia. So they at least get out of Rochester. I'm so grateful that you're here. We debated whether or not we should have worship today. And we had a luncheon yesterday for all of the widows in our congregation. And there was a wonderful turnout for that. And I thought that if all the widows came, we shouldn't cancel worship because it was really snowing pretty hard at the beginning of that luncheon. And um, I thought you might want to be interested in knowing how many widows there are in this congregation. There are 84. And then the question becomes, how many widowers are there? And the answer is there are 32, which is a large number of people for whom Valentine's Day could be very lonely. It was a wonderful luncheon, and um, uh, I got a large chuckle out of one of the Valentine's cards that one of our tables opened. You know, I see you chuckling. You, you know which one it was. The children of our church made Valentine's Day cards, and, uh, which the women loved. And one of them opened up and said, Happy Valentine's Day. Rest in peace. <laughs> we, we thought that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect Valentine's Day card. So here we are, Transfiguration Sunday. I'm glad that you're here. It's actually a beautiful drive to church today. The roads were pretty clear. And um, 
we're going to read this more challenging passage from 2 Kings. Uh, This is a story about Elijah and Elisha who follows him as a great prophet in Israel. Listen for the word of God. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet is what we call the letter B. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Beit. And um, it is also part of this word, B-E-T-H, Beit. And it means, translating it directly, it means house. And then, um, if you read through the Old Testament in Hebrew, you come to the words like Yahweh, uh, which is the word for God, and uh, it was only spelled with consonants, Y-H-W-H, so that you couldn't pronounce it. Therefore, you couldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain because you couldn't say it. So they then substituted, the uh, priestly writers did, uh, with the word Elohim, and uh, the beginning letters of that word, E-L, then uh, indicate every time God's name is being mentioned if it's not with Yahweh. And so you read the Old Testament in Hebrew and you find words ending with E-L, or they begin with E-L. For example, the name Elizabeth right, begins with E-L. So Elizabeth really means a gift of God. Uh, Bethel, if bait means house, Bethel means house of God. So that's where they were headed. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, and the company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know? That today the Lord will take your master away from you. And he said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted one side and on the other until the two of them crossed on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. And Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire 
and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching. He cried out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water parted to one side and the other, and Elisha walked across. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have a lot of interesting things, and these are toys in this bag that belong to our son. He had, I call these like dolls for boys, right? Anybody know what this is? This is all part of the He-Man series. I don't know which He-Man this is, but it was all part of a He-Man series. Very muscular guys, right? I remember about the season of Advent one year, I decided I would talk about these, and I talked about He-Manuel, because this looked like He-Man. And, and there's a lot more of those guys. Like, they're big, and they're strong. This one's kind of blue. Yeah. But then in the middle of all of these, and I was hoping to find this other one, I found one of these. Anybody know what this is? This is a what? A transformer. You know that? The head's right there. Do you know how to use these? Transform them? I know that. You know how to transform this? How do you do that? He has arms. He looks like a car, right? The trouble is, I was afraid that if I started to use him, I would either break him or I wouldn't that's the start he turns into a like a person right the car does and he transforms it's really kind of fascinating I I was afraid that once I got him apart I wouldn't know how to get him back together and and I would want to store but this is called a transformer and we're going to talk today about something like being transformed Something that looks like one thing but can be changed into something else. And that happened to Jesus on the mountain. And we're going to talk about that in church. But I tell you what, I thought I would leave these toys here. If anybody wants to play with them during worship, if you're staying here, you're welcome to do that. I just need to get them back in the bag. 
Because there'll be some day when our son will come and say, where are the toys that you've been storing? We actually store these in a basement room, and I live with a very good organizer at our house, and, and she has all of these plastic bins. They're all, like, numbered and ordered in a particular way. It looks like a hotel in our basement for the plastic bins, and, and that's how we knew where to find some of these things. So you're, you're welcome to play with any of these that you'd like, and if you're going to Sunday school, that'd be great, too. Uh, let's pray about this. Lord God, we give you thanks for today and for um, places like this that are warm and safe and dry when it's so cold outside and snowy. We ask that you will bless us and change us to be more like Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll leave these here, and uh, if you want to play with any of them, you can. Uh, The girls may not want any of those. I have other things in my basement, too.
The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
James and all that was worth coming out on a cold winter day just to hear that. That's wonderful. A very short couple of verses. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord of life and light, before you humiliation and shame on your way to the cross, you were changed and transfigured before us. And the veil was lifted, and some got to see your glory. In all the dark, difficult places of our lives, show us that glory. Please give to us the grace to see you walking beside us, comforting us in our struggles, encouraging us day by day. Yes, take us to the mountaintop with those disciples through Scripture and help us to see you. Amen. Transformers 5 is in the works. Don't get your hopes up for anything new. It's probably going to be the same old story of shape-shifting aliens that were used in a way that's not dissimilar than this Transfiguration Sunday. It's been announced that 2016 will be the year of Transformers, a new blockbuster film featuring the fantastic world of shape-shifting alien robots that can disguise themselves as man-made automobiles and morph into flying, fighting, sentient supermachines will take box offices by storm. Probably bigger than Fifty Shades of Grey. You might be saying to yourself, but last January, did they not announce that 2014 was to be the year of Transformers? You're right, 2014 was announced. But they also announced that 2007 was to be the year of Transformers. And they did that also in 2009 and in 2011. It seems the world just can't get enough shape-shifting super robots. Don't believe it? Consider this. The four previous Transformers movies have grossed more than $3.6 billion. It's one of the most successful film franchises ever. I'm only one that I think might eclipse it is frozen. Now, there are lots of theories as to why these movies, despite their poor critical reception, are such a hit. 
Some point to the nostalgic factor. I think this has merit. Transformers were a series of popular toys in the late 1980s. Mostly boys went crazy for Transformer toys. Just think, late 1980s, that means that those children are now having children of their own. And they're eager to show their own sons and daughters how cool it can be when a rusty tractor trailer morphs into a talking flying superhero. And there's also the fact that just they're just plain fun to watch. Amazing special effects, stop action, beautiful people diving in for cover, good entertainment any way you slice it. If you wanted to have the king of Transformers, you owned Optimus Prime. Now, Optimus Prime was a fictional character from the Transformer franchise. Optimus Prime is the leader of the Autobots, a faction of the transforming robots from the planet Cybertron. The Autobots are constantly waging war against a rival faction of transforming robots called Decepticons. Optimus Prime is depicted as a brave, powerful, wise, compassionate leader who puts his talent to use improving the universe around him. Optimus is portrayed as having a strong sense of justice and righteousness and dedicates himself to the protection of all life, especially the earth. Actually, I did not understand one whit of this Transformer business, but Martha and I at one time had a young son who with his friends were really into this stuff. Big time. He owned a number of Transformers, but nearly sold his soul to purchase an Optimus Prime. Fortunately, one arrived one Christmas. Now the Optimus Prime Transformer transforms into a Kenworth K100 cab over truck. Within the chest is a mystic figure known as the Autobot Matrix of Matrix of Leadership, or the Creation Matrix, which is carried by all Autobot leaders. When Optimus Prime transforms, his cab disconnects to become a sentient robot. His trailer opens to reveal an iron blaster forming a combat deck. The combat deck supports a mobile battle station and command headquarters armed with assorted artillery and beam weapons that fire automatically. The combat deck can also serve as radio antenna for battlefield communications between the Autobots, and the combat deck also includes Roller, a mobile scout buggy meant to scout behind enemy lines but returns to the whole Optimus Prime Transformer thing. Optimus is able to fire short-range optic blasts, project holographic maps, deploy hydrofoils designed by Wheeljack, the, one of the okay transformers. It transforms bodies of water with ease. Optimus was given the ability to retract his right-hand unit and replace it with a glowing axe. 
Now you have learned more about Transformers than you ever wanted to know. But what intrigues us a little today, and today's moviegoers who are into this stuff, is the magic and the allure to the idea of something so basic and familiar transforming itself into something very powerful, so mysterious, so awesome. It makes us see the world around us just for a second, filled with exciting potential. What if my car isn't just a car? What if my desk isn't just a desk? What if my toaster isn't just a toaster? Be an interesting world, right? And so every few summers, we find ourselves sitting in a theater with nieces, nephews, and grandchildren loaded down with popcorn, ready to watch this scene all over again. You may think that this is a stretch, but I thought to myself as we approached this day that I could see a line between the transformers and the transfiguration of Jesus given to us in the Gospel of Mark. Just think about it. The tagline for the toys and the films, you see it at the headline of the film and at the end of the film, is more than meets the eye. And that's true for Jesus, isn't it? The transfiguration is a moment that the disciples got a glimpse of who Jesus was. They saw for certain that he was more than just a man. Jesus stood before his disciples on the top of Mount Hermon, and before their eyes, he changed. He changed from a rabbi with a keen connection to God into a God-man who was greater than Moses and Elijah, even put together. This glimpse of Jesus could become who Jesus really was. And it left the disciples slack-jawed and stunned. The world suddenly had exciting new potential. What if my rabbi isn't just a rabbi? See? That's the connection. But there's more. Just as many respond to the idea of another Transformers movie with a sigh, there are many who hear about Transfiguration Sunday and kind of let out the same disinterested puff of air. I mean, it makes sense for us to circle back to Christmas and Easter. Those are the biggies. But why do we have to come back to this at the doorstep of Lent every year? I mean, you know, right? Transfiguration Sunday happens, and what happens before we get to next Sunday? Ash Wednesday. And my favorite holiday of the year, the day before. Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. I feel like I can eat all of the stuff I should stay away from all of Lent on Fat Tuesday. After all, hasn't it become clear that for two centuries... The church has really thought Jesus is God. 
Haven't we established some theological assertion that he's not just human, but divine? I mean, we saw the movie, and here we are again. But let's assume that in the words of well-intentioned, awestruck Peter, it's good for us to be here. Let's assume that the reason we tread the familiar ground of Jesus' transfiguration is not just because it's what's given to us in our lectionary reading, but because it actually is good for disciples to read this. And why might that be? Here's one reason. We spend a great deal of energy as people trying to transform Jesus ourselves. We try to morph and manipulate him into something he's not, something that fits our agenda. And it's good for us to be confronted with the biblical opinion that Jesus is not who we've made Jesus out to be. He's greater than we've assumed. He's holier than we have envisioned and better than we have imagined. We need the transfiguration because it breaks our idolatrous and self-serving ideas of Jesus and brings us back to the jaw-dropping, breathtaking truth that were encountered by these disciples. Like a child of the early 80s, pulling and twisting a tiny action figure that's promised to become something exciting if we manipulate it in just the right way, we're all guilty of trying to transform Jesus. Into whom have you tried to transform him? From the conversations you've been having over coffee or the interactions you've noticed on Facebook, how is Jesus being transformed into something he's not? Several years ago, there was a best-selling T-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Maybe you've crafted a picture of Jesus that is simply that of a divine, well, a, a divine affirmer. This Jesus never lovingly confronts you with God's law in order to draw you back to the gospel, but is only there to say, I've got your back. Do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, to whomever you want to do. I will forgive you. I'll make everything just right so it doesn't matter what you do. Dr. Harry N. Huxhold wrote a book in which he quotes Dr. Yaroslav Pelikan from Yale. Now, Dr. Pelikan is a Roman Catholic theologian. And Dr. Pelican wrote how Jesus has been the dominant figure in history of Western culture. But he notes that each age has made Jesus relevant to its own wants and its own needs. Jesus has furnished each new age with answers to fundamental questions as every generation has had to address new social problems that tested the more fundamental questions of human existence. Now, with that as background, he tries to explain why, for some, the New Testament was used to support slavery, while for others, they have found in the same words the insights for civil rights. 
Some have seen in the pages a call to a particular kind of righteousness, and for others a call to a particular kind of freedom. I mean, it seems like some folks have transformed Jesus into a political trump card to be conveniently laid out as a means of winning arguments and shutting down debate on social media. Or perhaps you've seen him portrayed as the genie of the faithful. You know how this is. If you pray enough, believe enough, just plain try hard enough, Jesus will grant you any wish that you have for your spiritual breakthrough. Or maybe you've recently greeted your child home after their first year in college only to find out that their introduction to philosophy class has turned them now into an enlightened know-it-all. And the professor has helped them transform Jesus into the likeness of a simple first century guru and nothing more. That's why we need the transfiguration. Why we need to visit this familiar territory. We come back to this particular storyline because in the last year we've built a false picture of Jesus. We've laid our assumptions and our agendas and our designs on Jesus. We've sat with him knowing that there is more than meets the eye and tried to turn him into something that really suits our own fancy. And Transfiguration Sunday exists to remind us of who Jesus is and who we really might need him to be. It helps us remember that once we've read through the Gospel of Mark, and know how the story will end, we can reread it a second time and see what we missed and how that can now be revealed. Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is greater than the great teachers Moses and the prophet Elijah. They bow before him. He's not just an enlightened man. He's God in flesh and his glory shines brighter than clothes can be bleached. He's not your card to be played in arguments or puppet beholden to your commands. He's the Father's beloved Son. We are to listen to him. Every once in a while, we need to bust out of whatever box we've placed him into and transform into his glorious self and remind that he is... God. And when Jesus transforms from car to alien robot correction from an apparently mortal man to a glorified God, there's one response to be had. That's repentance and worship. Now, the transfiguration of Jesus and the sudden appearance of Elijah and Moses had the unexpected effect of confusing the disciples. After Peter speaks in verse 5, and verse 6 explains that Peter didn't know what to say. I mean, such an explanation is warranted after Peter inexplicably asserts that the disciples' presence is good, and he offers to build three huts. Now, some commentators have suggested that the dwellings, literally in Greek, tents that Peter volunteers to construct here might be allusions to Old Testament features such as the Feast of Tabernacles or or the Tent of Meeting in Exodus 33. 
But perhaps it's just more natural to understand Peter's statement as yet another example in the Gospel of Mark that these disciples seem to be clueless. Frequently, the disciples of Jesus are portrayed as feeling to understand or needing more clarification to comprehend what Jesus teaches. Mark has this tendency throughout his gospel to call the disciples' competence into question. It would not be surprising if Peter's statement here was yet just another example for the gospel writer to say, the disciples didn't get it. But... Peter's confused speech is overtaken by another voice. This one comes from a cloud. Now, a reader familiar with the Old Testament would probably pick up some resonance here of Exodus 24, which describes a cloud on a mountain. In that case, the cloud evidences the Lord's presence with Moses. But here in Mark, uh, the cloud seems to signify the presence of the divine. We can find other references throughout the scripture of such a cloud. But unlike the voice at baptism, this voice gives instructions. Listen to him. Jesus' identity as God's son will be repeated once more in the gospel on the lips of the centurion. And so it happens. What is strange to me is the command to be silent. Why in the world does Jesus say, don't tell anybody about what you've seen here? But, you know, if you kind of look back through the Gospel of Mark, it's not new. After healing the daughter of Jairus, Jesus issues a similar command. Likewise, after healing a deaf man, he orders silence in chapter 7. Jesus has warned even unclean spirits and Peter about publicizing his messianic identity in chapter 3. For an audience who has been following along in the gospel thus far, Jesus' command to remain silent is hardly odd. It's become somewhat typical of the characteristic of the Mark in Jesus. And when you get to the end of the gospel, that gospel ends by saying... Jesus will meet you in Galilee. Now I'm going to give you the Bokian interpretation of that. I think that what Mark is saying is, now that you know the whole story, go back to chapter 1. And like, unlike Luke that takes us first of all to Bethlehem, or John that has, in the beginning was the word, and takes us all the way back to Genesis, Mark's gospel begins in Galilee. I think he's saying, go back and reread this, and you will now understand what Jesus has been trying to tell you. More importantly, looking at these details, we hope to see how Jesus changes us. My way of trying to make some sense of this for me is to see Jesus sort of like a filter that purifies water. A filter takes in impure water, holds the impurities inside of itself, and then gives back pure water. So I see it like this. 
Jesus takes in hatred and he holds it and he transforms it and gives back love. Jesus takes in bitterness and holds it and transforms it and gives back graciousness. He takes in curses and he holds them and he transforms them and gives back blessing. He takes in chaos and he holds it and he transforms it and gives back new order. He takes in fear and he holds it and he transforms it and he gives back freedom. He takes in jealousy and he holds it and he transforms it and he gives back affirmation. And he takes in evil and murder and he holds them and he transforms them and gives back only what God can really give and that is forgiveness. takes the sins of the world. He takes the impurity out of them. He absorbs them. He holds them. And he takes out all that isn't clean and gives back all that is. It'd be great after confessing sin and hearing God's promise of pardon to kind of hum a hymn today if you're staying at home thinking about this passage how your life might be transformed too I mean this story's not new it's kind of the same old thing we read it every transfiguration Sunday but maybe it will transform our hearts Why do we need another Transformers movie? Some would argue that we don't. Four is enough. We don't need Transformers 5. But consider this. There were eight Harry Potter films. There were 25 James Bond movies. Did you know that there were 10 Batman films? So maybe five Transformer ones isn't all that bad. At the very least, every once in a while, we need a Transformers movie to remind us of how great an actor Mark Wahlberg is, how truly awful it would be to live in a world with talking cars. And every once in a while, we need the Transfiguration to remind us that even though anthropomorphic alien robot cars do not exist, Jesus has and continues to do so whenever two or three gather together in his name. And he could crush them after all, those alien anthropomorphic cars. And if he did that, now that would be a great movie. There's a prayer for us to use today. Compassionate God, the world will only know that it has been good for us to be in worship 
when our worship extends into our service, when our moments of encounter with the living Christ give us new vision to work for justice and for peace, to feed the hungry, comfort the lonely, and to visit the sick. We dedicate ourselves to you with the offering we now make in Christ's name. Amen. Didn't think too often I'd be praying for the people of Boston. They really don't know where to put the snow. Sometimes it's wonderful to look at. By the way, when you go out to the church on this side, you'll see one of the biggest uh, icicles, I think, that hangs. We've got to knock that thing down, I think, before we have a major problem. But I'm so grateful that you came to worship today. I would pray for you that it was a blessing for you. And it was really a lovely drive. At least it was for me. The car felt quiet. And the fields were gorgeous. And I still see God's handiwork in the black and white bleakness of winter. And it is awesome. Dan, you celebrating a birthday today? They come around this year every time, don't they? Do they ever get confused with Valentine's Day at your house? I mean, it's real close, yeah. 
No, not too much. Yeah, that's good. This has been a tough uh, week for some people in our community. We don't know what to make of a murder that happens on a street where some of our members live. And I don't know what would happen that would have caused Charlie Tan to murder his dad. But that death has affected a lot of people, especially recent graduates from the high school. I think it's also begun to lift up the problem we see of um, violence in the home. And we need to be in prayer about that. Please join me in prayer. Loving and gracious God, you are the Holy One who knows us, who cares for us and loves us and wants to redeem us. You are the one whose thoughts are above ours and whose ways are beyond ours. We would pray for a fuller understanding so that we will know your will and your grace. We pray for the naming and releasing of whatever in in us obstructs and impedes the healing you long to do. We pray that we will be willing for ongoing conversation for the often long taxing process of healing, especially in families that can be torn apart and asunder by violence. We pray for those suffering pain today, that they will feel the healing power of your love. We pray for those who face imprisonments of a thousand kinds and for the inner healing for those in whom anger and resentment and pride and a lack of forgiveness or guilt blocks the reception of your grace. And we pray for encouragement for those who want to respond to your invitation to be healed and don't know how to do that. We pray for your world. And we pray for ourselves, even using the words Jesus taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Bruce, do you want to explain this hymn to everybody here too? Across the two parts of the game.
hope you have a wonderful afternoon and feel that your life will be transfigured and transformed in some special way this winter day. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.